Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. today is going to be a reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 through 31. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, The younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything to eat. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and it is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when is this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
You may be seated. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Henry Nowen wrote an entire book on this one parable. He was contemplating this painting by Rembrandt. This painting is called The Prodigal Son. In this image, you can see three distinct figures. The prodigal son kneeling before the father and the older son standing off to the side. Henry Nowen thought about being each of those people, putting himself in each of their shoes in his own life experiences. Many sermons are focused on the prodigal son, but not mine. Today we are going to talk about the older son. Henry Nowen writes in his book, The Prodigal Son, an excerpt that we're going to look at today. In there, he says, quote, while talking about Rembrandt's painting to Bark Gavigan, a friend from England who had come to know me quite intimately during the past year, I explained to Bart how strongly I had been able to identify with the younger son. He looked at me quite intently and said, I wonder if you are more, not more like the older son. With these words, he opened a new space within me. Frankly, I had never thought of myself as the older son. But once Bart confronted me with that possibility, countless ideas started running through my head. Beginning with the simple fact that I am indeed the eldest child in my family, I came to see how I had lived quite a dutiful life. When I was six years old, I already wanted to become a priest and never changed my mind. I was born, baptized, confirmed, and ordained in the same church and had always been obedient to my parents, my teachers, my bishops, and my God. I had never run away from home, never wasted my time and money on sensual pursuits, and had never gotten lost in debauchery and drunkenness. For my entire life, I had been quite responsible, traditional, and homebound. But with all of that, I may, in fact, have been just as lost as the younger son. I suddenly saw myself in a completely new way. I saw my jealousy, my anger, my touchiness, doggedness, and sullenness. And most of all, my subtle self-righteousness. I saw how much of a complainer I was and how much of my thinking and feeling was ridden with resentment. For a time, it became impossible to see how I could ever have thought of myself as the younger son. I was the elder son for sure, but just as lost as his younger brother, even though I had stayed home all my life. I had been working very hard in my father's farm, but I had never fully tasted the joy of being at home. Henry Nowen, The Return of the Prodigal Son. We have our Christian journey. The prodigal son is representative of our salvation, where we are saved. There is a power greater than us who saves us from our sins. 
This is a process in growing in humility where we're simply acknowledging the world doesn't revolve around us and we are not in control. Then we look at the older son. In our Methodist tradition, we call this sanctification. We're developing the fruits of the Spirit. We're learning compassion. We're understanding what unconditional love means. We're learning to understand God's ways of living. And then we have the Father. The Father is the fingerprints of God here on earth. He represents the saints. He's got wisdom, discernment, mercy, and grace. He fully embodies the fruits of the Spirit. If we look at the painting of Rembrandt's again, when you look up very close, you can see that the two hands of the Father represent the soft, merciful, compassionate, loving feminine and the justice, the disciplinarian, the Father. They're melded together in one person. He has a perfect unity and balance of both mercy and justice. The fingerprints of God in my life. As Pastor Aaron said, my name is Maya DeBruni. I work as a hospital chaplain on the weekends for overnight shifts at Integris Hospitals. And I'm a deacon candidate here at the United Methodist Church in Mustang. Like Henry Nowen, I was the oldest in my family. I was a nerdy little third grade girl who rode my bike down to the public library every week during the summer break to exchange a pile of books for another pile. You know those grandma bikes with the big baskets over the back wheel? That's what I had. Eventually, the librarian decided I had read everything in the youth section, and she began ordering books with me in mind. She'd have a new book set aside when I came in, and she'd say, Maya, I just got this book in for you. That librarian was one of the hidden saints in my life who left behind the fingerprints of God on my heart. That was Mrs. Evers, my hometown librarian. I was an excellent student who followed the rules. However, I became very anxious and stressed if I did not do things perfectly. Everything looked ideal from the outside of my childhood home in northern Minnesota. People knew that the house at the end of Viking Drive had a father who had a good job as an electrical engineer and a mother who had a teaching degree in elementary education. She took her children to church each week, and they never went to the bars. They had two children who were successful in school. What a perfect family. But our family had a terrible secret. My mother suffered from a very serious mental illness called paranoid schizophrenia. This illness may have resulted some, from some combination of her of near-death experiences as a child in the dentist's office when, in the early 1950s and or childhood sexual abuse. We don't know. There were many bad days 
Most memorable for me were the days when my mom thought people were coming into her house and stealing things, intimate things. She'd accuse the local five-and-dime drugstore owner of stealing her underwear, things that no one would ever steal. These days were the most embarrassing and disturbing for me. She had trouble leaving the house to go shopping. So she would hem up her own clothes for me to wear to school. This resulted in me being bullied, especially around fifth grade. Then the day of the crises hit. My mother was taken away from our home in the back of a police car. She was admitted to a psychiatric ward at the local hospital. She didn't return home for many weeks. My dad lost his job because his work required him to travel extensively. He could not manage the chaos at home and fulfill his work requirements. The state of Minnesota was stepping in to begin the process of putting my younger brother and I into foster care. Both my parents secured their own lawyers. Home was not a place I wanted to be. I stayed in my room. I focused on my schoolwork. I looked forward to going to school. I lost myself in reading books. Mr. Edward Techouts, my fifth grade homeroom teacher. He was a young single man in his first teaching job. I remember he was dating a very kind and pretty woman who he'd meet after school. He was one of those 11,000 teachers who participated in the NASA Teachers in Space project in 1985. He applied to go to space on the Challenger space shuttle. I'm very glad he wasn't chosen. I was in his fifth grade class when the Challenger space shuttle exploded and teacher Krista McCullough died. Mr. Techouts brought in cow's lungs for us to dissect and mice for us to raise with milk and sugar water. Mr. Techouts played dodgeball in the gym with the whole class every PE period. Looking back now, I realize he did not really enjoy dodgeball as much as I thought he did. He was ensuring that the game would be fair and inclusive. I could be successful in Mr. Techout's classroom. He was another hidden saint in my life who left behind the fingerprints of God on my heart. Other kids teased me about my strange polyester grandma pants, but it really didn't matter. I felt the presence of God protecting me I loved learning new things. I did well in school without much help from my parents. I had my dog at home. Life was good. By the time I went to eighth grade, the crisis had passed. My mother was taking psychotropic medications. My dad had a job that didn't require travel. The state had sent social workers to our house for a set period of time to ensure we children were being cared for. My mother was able to teach as a substitute teacher again, and our case was closed. I had a normal high school and college experience. I considered becoming a Catholic nun because I had profound experiences of God's presence when each of my grandparents died. I knew there was something more to life than what we could see with our eyes. 
But unlike my mother, I had a sense of a benevolent higher power who loved me. As a teenager and young adult, I often went to church on my own, but I chose to get married and study science and engineering instead of going into the religious life. Several times I had experienced the presence of God out in nature, just as well as I experienced God in church. Learning about the scientific world, creation, that was learning about God, the great creator. However, then the second crisis hits and rears its ugly head. My husband and I were living in Michigan, and we had three young children. I had loved the world of academia, but I left the field of engineering and science to be a stay-at-home mom. My husband and I were members of a very large Catholic church in Michigan from 2001 to 2013. I had three children in the Catholic school system. I worked in the church nursery and led Stephen ministry. My husband was the coach for the church's men's softball league. He regularly spoke from the pulpit on behalf of the finance council. Our lives revolved around our many church activities. My older son was an altar boy who served almost every Sunday, but there was another big secret. My father-in-law died suddenly from kidney cancer at only 63 years old, and the charismatic priest of this large influential parish was coming to our home for dinner. This was a typical thing for him to do. He went to dinner at families' homes all the time. He was a highly sought-after guest. People began to wonder why he always came to our house. Why did he favor us? His visits became later and later at night. He'd want to wrestle with our kids and then tuck our kids in bed. He would take off his priestly collar and put it on my oldest son, encouraging this little second-grade boy to be a future priest. When our son was in fifth grade, he gave our son money without telling us. He gave my husband expensive tickets to charity dinners and golf outings. My husband really missed golfing with his dad. But for me... I could no longer be Stephen Ministry leader. I was supposed to stop going to the large Stephen Ministry group meetings and report directly to this priest when he came over to our house, not at church. I was no longer supposed to go to women's groups. He said the other women would be envious of me. He told me to be a good Catholic and continue to have more children, even though I had four miscarriages attempting to have our fourth child. After each baby died, he would be there to kiss my tears away. Bit by bit, the boundaries were dissolving. My daughter was going into third grade, and she said, I liked Uncle Father Bill's kiss hugs when I was a little girl, but now that I'm older, they feel icky. Note, if somebody calls themselves both your uncle and your father and they're not related to you, that's a big problem. I began to speak out about Uncle Father Bill's boundary problems. But no one in church leadership roles took me seriously. The church staff dismissed me with complete disbelief. Other priests were silent. Spiritual directors told me that it was my responsibility to set boundaries on my parish priest. This man was born the same year as my father. He had won the admiration and favor of an entire town over his lifetime. 
working as a priest. He was an excellent at raising money for the church. He knew people in powerful places. This priest saw himself as spiritually married to me and choosing my oldest son for the priesthood. My son was the chosen one, one of the priest's favorites. I was to keep quiet and ponder these things in my heart. I was very privileged. Someday I might be honored as a mother to a priest. This priest would sign his name in the name of Christ. And me, I would be the meek image of the Blessed Mother Mary who prays in the Adoration Chapel for the salvation of souls. Well, the fact that I am preaching today as a deacon candidate in the United Methodist Church in Mustang, Oklahoma tells you the plan this charismatic priest had in mind for my family was not God's will. The same God who was with me when I was in fifth grade was with me now. I knew that I was going to be in for a great deal of humiliation, but growing up in a small town with a mother who had such a serious mental illness had prepared me to persevere through many more difficult days. I began seeking mental health counseling with a woman living in Michigan who was Jewish and a therapist. She was raised and educated in New York City. It took a lot of courage to trust this woman who was so very different than me. By the grace of God, I made friendships outside the church which led to my time volunteering with hospice. I began talking with Protestant women who worked in chaplaincy. I earned a Master of Arts in Pastoral Theology from a Catholic institution. In May of 2013, on Pentecost Sunday night, my husband flew to Oklahoma City because God provided my husband the opportunity to interview in Oklahoma City for a job transfer. His engineering management experience in the oil and gas industry was needed due to someone retiring. My husband spent his entire interview in the Cameron Bunker on Southwest 29th Street during the May 20th, 2013 Moore tornado. His future boss asked him, so what do you think? Do you want the job? <laughs> Todd said, despite the tornado, it looks good to me, so yes. <laughs> I had my children's Michigan school records sent to St. Sent to St. John Nepoma Catholic School in Yukon. The school principal in Michigan said, Who is St. John Nepomuk, the patron saint of tornadoes? Have you not watched the news? That was May 31st, the day nine people died in the El Reno tornado. God always asks us to step out in faith, and somehow there are a thousand fear-filled fear, fear reasons not to follow God's will. For example, our church in Mustang has the opportunity to step out in faith by ministering to children with special needs. Following God's will always requires faith in the midst of adversity. In June of 2013, a very kind real estate agent from Yukon spent an entire week helping our family find a house to buy here in Mustang. I had never set foot in Oklahoma before I came here to buy a house. 
Living a thousand miles away from Michigan, Oklahoma gave me power. I wrote the bishop in Michigan. I made a formal complaint. I've written bishops, cardinals, priests, and church chancellors over the years on behalf of victims of clerical sexual abuse who have had no voice. This priest from 2008 specifically was dismissed from the priesthood last month by Pope Francis on the basis of sexual abuse regarding another family. I am finally free to speak without fear of being accused of slander. The Christian community often focuses on the grace and mercy of God, that God gives the prodigal son, but we often fail to talk about the grace needed for the older son. The older son has two choices. He can join in the celebration or walk away. The oldest son was compliant. He was doing what he was supposed to do. The prodigal son was the one who brought shame and embarrassment to his family. The oldest son wants justice from the father. He thinks the father should punish the younger son. Instead, there's a big party. The father says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. What in the world? The oldest son says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? The father says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The youngest son is remorseful. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. We have a genuine repentance on behalf of the youngest son. The father is still ensuing consequences. The youngest son is not inheriting any land. He tells the oldest son, everything I have is yours. The oldest son still owns the farm. The youngest son gave up his share and will have to work for the oldest son the rest of his life. The oldest son will have plenty of opportunities to celebrate with his friends. He will own every fattened calf. His brother will be his servant instead of his partner. Now the oldest son has the chance to grow in what we Methodists call sanctification. This is a critical moment for the oldest son. He can refuse to grow into the image of the father by keeping a grudge and withdrawing from the celebration. Or he can go along with the father and celebrate the salvation of the youngest son. There is no end to this part of the parable. We are left to fill in the blank ourselves with our own lives. What do we do? The father in the parable treats the prodigal son with respect and honor. The father treats the responsible oldest son with respect and honor. The youngest is now the hired hand. He has no claim to the earthly wealth that the oldest son will inherit. All I have is yours, says the father. 
The hired hands are completely dependent upon the owner for their livelihoods. The youngest son will be at the mercy of the older son for the rest of his life. What will the oldest son do? Will the oldest son wield his power over the hired hands? Or will he grow to become like the father who takes mature responsibility for that power and lives a life of gratitude for all the gifts that God gives him? Likewise, we depend on God for our lives. There is no doubt that God protected me as a child in many dangerous situations. But there came a time in life when I needed to learn to depend on other people, too. I needed to keep reaching out for help and healing from others after a predator invaded our home. As a child, I could ignore bullies and say to myself, all I need is God. As an adult, I learned that this was not the whole story of the Christian life. I had independent pride. I should have gone to the Stephen ministry meetings and women's group meetings sooner and talked about this abusive things this priest was saying and doing while he tried to keep our family under his thumb, meeting his selfish desires. If that didn't work, I should have confided in other people outside the Catholic community sooner, like professionals who are pastors and therapists. I should have gone to my doctor and gotten medical help after all those miscarriages instead of trying to be a good, holy Catholic who didn't take those kind of medications. For many years, I was the older son who walked away from the banquet in pain, distrust, and resentment, striving for some elusive ideal of perfection and holiness. I was attempting to outrun my shame-based identity, which resulted from growing up with a mother who suffered with paranoid schizophrenia. What would I want others to do who may find themselves in similar situations? Be open to mental health professionals, and that takes courage. The Christian life is about cooperating with God's gift of grace, where God is the Savior, we are the sinners, we cannot do anything to earn God's grace. God's grace comes in God's timing. My time here at the United Methodist Church in Mustang has been like my time with my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Techouts. The church believed in me and supported me as I pursued my Master of Arts in Christian ministry. But it was Charlene Halverson who took it upon herself to be the image of the wise, mature, loving father in the parable. She was another one of those hidden saints who is a reflection of Jesus Christ on earth today who has left the fingerprints of God upon my heart. Charlene Halverson was the first person from the United Methodist Church in Mustang that I met when I attended a Stephen Ministry Metropolitan meeting while I was still a Catholic. She displayed the fruits of the Holy Spirit in her life. Charlene welcomed me to this community. Many more loving Methodists have followed her. You all are too numerous to name because I have to end the sermon today. The takeaway application so what does this mean for us today? How are you living your gift of Christianity? What work are you responsible for? It might be schoolwork, volunteer work, maintaining a house or apartment, job responsibilities, 
and all of us are responsible for our self-care, which includes what I call a pretty mess. Physical, for P, pretty. M, mental. Emotional, social, and spiritual well-being. Who has God given you some degree of power over? Yourself, a pet, a child? You could have responsibility for many people, or none at all, depending on what God has called you to do at this point in your life. How are you using that power? Are you respectful of yourself and others? What can you do today to grow in your journey of sanctification? Again, sanctification means our growth in holiness, how well we bring to life the presence of Christ in the world today through our own actions. How can you leave behind the fingerprints of God instead of leaving behind scars and wounds? We need to depend on God 100%, but those of us who can relate to the oldest son need to learn to trust other people too and develop a sense of gratitude for what God has given us through other people. This sense of gratitude is what the oldest son struggled with the most. One of the most fruitful spiritual practices for those of us who can relate to the oldest son is developing the habit of keeping a gratitude journal. Who in your life has left behind the fingerprints of God? Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.